Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. We got a great show today. Bill Schweigert is going to be on to talk about his trilogy of really fun, uh, exciting books but also uh, talk about uh, being a, uh, an author in uh, the creator-owned world and uh, how he got his stuff going and uh, things he learned, uh, which is really kind, listening to Word Balloon and specifically a guy like Brian Bendis. And we mentioned Brian Bendis because uh, the internet uh, cracked open again today because uh, it was announced that uh, Bendis is leaving Marvel and heading over to DC. I'll tell you what we know. And what the uh, fan reaction has been as far as the League of Word Balloon listeners. And uh, what you can glean from uh, the previous Bendis tapes. Because certainly in the early years, uh, we talked a lot about, hey, if you ever went to D.C., what would you do? It was a persistent question that we would get uh, from fans on the Bendis tapes. And uh, Bendis gave us some suggestions. So uh, we'll delve into all of that before our interview with Bill Schweiger today on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support via Patreon. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, if you've got the extra money, if you think Word Balloon adds to your enjoyment of uh, the hobby of uh, following comic books and film and television and animation, then uh, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. And uh, is, is it worth the price of a comic? You tell me. And uh, again, I appreciate uh, the support that I've gotten throughout the uh, months and years. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon, or you can go to WordBalloon.com and click on the front page. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. they got some great uh, books for you this week from InStock Trades. There are things like Batman, The Dark Prince Charming. This is a really cool book uh, based on some Italian takes on uh, Batman from Enrico Marini and others. This is the first of two volumes. It looks like it's going to be in uh, the European album format. But it's uh, 50% off. It's just $6.49 for that first issue. There's also the Justice League International Omnibus hardcover. Keith Giffen, Jam DeMatties, Keith McGuire, Kevin McGuire, shame on me. Uh, I'm still coming off a cold, you'll forgive me. A little bit of a fog today. But, uh, man, this is good stuff. Uh, over 1,000 pages, 1,080 pages of great Justice League and Justice League International stuff. 42% off. It's only $57.99. There's more. You can get Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme Omnibus Hardcover Volume 1 with a great Gene Colan cover. And, uh, man, when does this go back to? This collects uh, Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme 1 through 40. Also, Ghost Rider number 12. It's 1,064 pages. 60% off. It's just $50 at InStockTrades.com. And then there's the Star Wars Marvel UK Omnibus, and this collects all of the great uh, Marvel content that they did in the UK. Uh, this is 808 pages, and it's 60% off, just $40 in InStock Trades. Some good big-ticket items, but you can find great reasonably-priced trades as well. And don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping from InStock Trades. Dot com. So, Bendis News. 
crazy. Yes, Abendus Tapes is coming. Uh, you know, Brian's uh, spinning a lot of plates these days. But uh, look forward in the days ahead. A new Bendis Tapes where we'll go into detail with him. But uh, it's been fun reading the reactions from fans. Um, the official word came uh, a few days ago. Or I, shame on me. The official word came this morning about the story. And uh, you got the first we got the uh, statement from D.C. We're beyond thrilled to welcome Brian Michael Bendis exclusively to the D.C. family with a multi-year, multifaceted deal. Again, exclusively to the D.C. family. He's one of the premier writers in the industry, having created so many unforgettable stories wherever he's been. And we can't wait to see what he has planned for the D.C. universe. Brian responded on Twitter, this is real, I love you all, change is good, change is healthy. I'm bursting with ideas and inspirations, details to come, stay tuned. And then we also got uh, some other uh, responses, um, Joe Casada had his uh, comments, I want to thank Brian Bendis for all the years of hard work, creativity, and more importantly, friendship. During my time as editor-in-chief, we had a lot of fun, rattled a lot of cages, and made what I hope will be viewed in retrospect by fans as some fun comics. While I would undoubtedly miss having him at Marvel, I want to congratulate Brian on his upcoming gig at DC and wish him nothing but success. As a fan, the change of Corner Box will not dampen my desire to read whatever he does next, and I look forward to his upcoming projects. So again, how does this impact uh, Image? How does this impact uh, you know, uh, other, other projects? I have no idea. Is Powers coming to Vertigo? I don't know. Scarlet, uh, Takio, some of these other things, are they going to find homes at DC? I'm not really sure. I guess we'll find out more when we talk to Brian. The one thing I will say, though, again, if you ex- explore some of our old Bendis tapes, we spoke a lot about, oh, if you ever went to DC, what would you do? And certainly Batman was on his list. You might remember that uh, for a time, Bendis and Ed Brubaker had talked about a Batman-Daredevil crossover, but the powers that be kind of put the kibosh on that. They wanted to do it. Brian wrote an excellent Batman Elseworlds called Citizen Wayne, which was kind of uh, his Bruce Wayne take as Charles Foster Kane, the Orson Welles character from Citizen Kane, and that was fun to read. Um, And he expressed a long desire in many uh, forms, including uh, the the Bendis tapes on Word Balloon, that he wanted to do uh, Plastic Man and uh, bring him back to his original crime origins and uh, make it more of a crime comic. As you know, Plastic Man was created for police comics back in the day. So I've already tweeted about this and uh, put up a couple posts on Facebook, and I'm not surprised, but a lot of the League of Word Balloon listeners have responded, uh, and also friends of the show, Tom King mentioned listening to Bendis on uh, John Ward Balloon inspired me to start writing. Keep writing. I can't believe I get to work with him. Awesome. My buddy John Clark says I'd be very interested to see Bendis on Flash. Jimmy Dunn, now if DC would put together a Marvel Unlimited style service, I'd be completely back in. Uh, let's see what else. So many people are like, Yo, when, when's there a Bendis tapes? Now, now, now. And I, and I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, it's coming. That's all I can say. Brian texted me last night mysteriously and said our next uh, podcast is going to be a doozy and i thought it might be with the uh disney fox stuff i had no idea that this was coming and uh, i was just as surprised as everyone else to read all of this he has a lot he can bring says neftali morales uh, given the chance and as long as he's not overextended i'm excited to see what the first thing will be that he works on sanford green our buddy i'm looking forward to some bendis tape action this week thank you uh, sanford i gotta get you back soon it was great seeing him in uh, new york just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, people are like, I, I said this is the right time. And people are like, why do you think it's the right time? I'm like, well, he's done pretty much everything he's wanted to do at Marvel. 
culminating with this Defender series that he's currently doing. He's doing the sequel to Spider-Man right now. Um, I am glad that he stayed on Riri Williams and Miles Morales and Jessica Jones, these other crea- uh, characters that he's created for as long as he has. And, you know, the, the comment keeps coming up, well, why doesn't he let other people write him? Well, maybe he's not done writing those characters yet. Maybe he has a longer story in mind than whatever time limit some readers want to impose on him. I, I don't get that. I, I really don't. Do, you know, do you want, I wonder if in the early 1900s, People were wondering when Edgar Rice Burroughs was going to stop writing Tarzan or Conan Doyle might stop writing Holmes. Um, You know, I I think it's fine. And I'm really glad that, again, I think he's uh, put out a nice body of work on all of these new characters that he's created. And let's see what Marvel does with them. It'll be very interesting. I'm sure that there are new plans for Riri Williams and Miles Morales. It'll be interesting to see if um, somebody wants to use Jessica Jones. Um, and also, let's not forget, uh, uh, well, actually, I was going to say Paul Jenkins used her, but no, he didn't. He actually created another journalist, uh, Sally, and I can't remember her name, the woman that uh, got her face in Captain America. Do you know what MySpace is? Do you know what social media is, Captain? I love that stuff. Um, so Mark McGrath says, so many vistas to explore. Imagine Brian on Justice League or with the Legion or Phil Jimenez with on the Legion or Titans and, or JSA or Metal Men. Change will hopefully bring out the best in Brian, and we, the readers, will get some damn fine books and that sense of excitement that brought you back to the spinner rack each week as a kid. My buddy Francis Davis, Frank says, Bendis is a great pickup. This is so cool because no one knows where he'll go and be a good fit. I hope he gets Hellblazer. It would be uh, fit his uh, crime noir style quite well. I completely agree. Let's see, any other, any other possibilities that uh, people are throwing out there? No, just pretty much other positive word that everyone's excited and, and can't wait to see what happens. Um, you know, he still has a lot of story, I'm sure, uh, to get through at Marvel. And again, I look forward to talking to him. They haven't announced when his first book is or what his first book will be at DC. But the possibilities are endless. And um, again, I think this is a great time for him to have a new universe to kind of play with and a, a set of characters. And I can't wait to see him put his words in the various heroes' mouths, and villains, for that matter. So, way to go, Brian. Uh, Expect a new Bendis tapes very soon in the days ahead here on Word Balloon. Without further ado, let's go to our conversation now with uh, Bill Schwaggert. And uh, Bill is a Word Balloon, League of Word Balloon listener, and a Patreon supporter. I really appreciate that. And um, he's really had some amazing success. He's, He's written three really fun books that uh, I will let him explain his trilogy, but uh, I would say it's kind of uh, X-Files-ish uh, in terms of investigators looking at strange phenomenon in the real world. And uh, it's a good combination of uh, investigation and myths and legends and uh, also some pretty dark stuff as well. And as we say, his third book, uh, unfortunately, was very uh, prescient because it dealt with... Uh, some uh, alt-right uh, and Nazi. It dealt with uh, some old Nazi uh, storylines, and this was a story that he envisioned back in 2015, and it just uh, got published uh, this past summer. So it, it ended up uh, coming out, unfortunately, at the right time, given the culture wars and I think what's going on right now. So it's really interesting to talk to Bill, and he's very kind. He says that really a lot of his encouragement came from listening to Word Balloon, and specifically the uh, Bendis tapes, as you'll hear as we talk to Bill Schwaggert now on Word Balloon. Bill Schwaggert, welcome to Word Balloon. Uh, It's a long time coming, but I appreciated uh, your patience with me 
And uh, finally, uh, we are sitting down and having our first word balloon. So welcome. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you uh, being gracious enough to have me on in the first place. You've just finished your first uh, trilogy of books for uh, Fatal Folklore? Yes, the Fatal Folklore trilogy, which is uh, comprised of The Beast of Barcroft, which was the first one, Northwoods, which was the second one, and The Devil's Colony, which just came out in the summertime. So uh, why I had wanted to get on so badly is because you have been um, very – a huge part of actually the DNA of this trilogy and of the story and of helping to get the the writing career uh, off the ground, even though you had no idea about any of it. (laughs) Well, that's ridiculously nice. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the, the trilogy first. Give us the elevator pitch on the three books. So, um, it, start, it all started with The Beast of Barcroft, and it starts with this guy named Ben McKelvey, who is sort of down on his luck. He's just moved into Arlington, um, does not realize that he has moved in next to what is basically a, a crazy person and an animal hoarder named Madeline Rue. Okay. And bad things start happening in rapid succession. You know, his father passes away. Uh, he had moved into this house with his fiance. Um, it's all too much for her between, you know, the rats that have infested the neighborhood and all sorts of stuff and dealing with, uh, dealing with Ben's issues, uh, and, and him having a hard time with the, his father passing away and everything comes to a head for Ben when he's out in his backyard, uh, with his dog and he, sur- he barely survives, uh, an attack by an animal that does not belong in Arlington, uh, by an animal that does not belong anywhere, actually. Uh, the worst part is nobody believes him. And so he enlists the aid of a curator from the National Zoo, the Smithsonian's National Zoo in D.C., by the name of Lindsay Clark, and also a, a crackpot cryptozoologist. And a cryptozoologist are you know, folks who you know, study Bigfoot and, you know, Sasquatch and the Loch Ness Monster. So he, um, Lindsay knows this crazy, uh, very wealthy billionaire cryptozoologist. And together uh, they discover the the link between the attacks that start happening in Ben's neighborhood in Arlington. That's awesome. Uh, because it does not, uh, the creature does not uh, restrict itself to pets and quickly moves into into humans. Um, but together they find out what the link is, but knowing the beast of Barcroft and stopping it are two different animals. So that's the first book. Um, and that establishes the characters and that came out in November of 2015. And the second book is called Northwoods. And that came out uh, a few months later, uh, cause I had written both of them in rapid succession before getting the deal with uh, penguin random house cool. and, and Northwoods is, um, tells the story of Davis Holland, who is uh, ex-Delta Force, and he's now an agent with Customs and Border Protection. And he is stationed in the Minnesota Northwoods, and he is investigating a border crossing with the local sheriff one night uh, on a wintry night when they stumble upon a scene of mass murder. And they barely escape with their lives. And with a single clue to the carnage, there is a small wooden chest placed in the center of the massacre. 
And when that wacky cryptozoologist Richard Severance from the Beast of Barcroft hears about it, he dispatches a team, which includes Ben and Lindsay, to investigate uh, what's going on in the Northwoods. And uh, they realize that uh, something has crossed the border from nightmare into reality. And they're still dealing with the after effects of what happened to them in the Beast of Barcroft. Um, and they have a very hard time getting their lives back to normal. But nothing is normal when they enter the Northwoods. <laughs> and uh, finally, it, what just came out this uh, past summer is The Devil's Colony. So for the first two books... My team of, you know, my team of uh, wealthy cryptozoologists and Lindsay Clark, the zoologist, and Ben McKelvey, your, your everyman, they've been on the defensive. They've been chasing these paranormal, um, you know, phenomenon across the country. And they finally get a lead that all of their issues have been emanating uh, from the Pine Barrens in uh, New Jersey, which is this really mysterious wooded area in the heart of New Jersey. And there's a compound that's being operated by a man named Henry Drexler called Valkoman, which is Swedish for welcome. And the camp, the compound is welcome to everybody so long as you are a neo-Nazi or a skinhead or otherwise involved with the alt-right. Oh, wow. And... Back uh, back in the day, he's this this man, Richard. Uh, I'm sorry, um, Henry Drexler is no mere Hitler wannabe. Back in the day, he was Richard Severance's mentor. Um, so Lindsay and Ben have to go undercover into this compound to figure out what the source of the, you know, who is sending these creatures out into the world and why. Um, and in the compound, they will discover that the greatest monster is man. Of course. So those are the three books. And that last one, The Devil's Colony, that was kind of a little tricky in the summer to yeah. sort of promote. Yeah, that's kind of um, crushing that for you to release it then and obviously have that story when uh, the alt-right is uh, in, at its uh, highest uh, bit of frenzy right now. Well, yeah. So the book dropped, and then two weeks later, Charlottesville happened. Wow. So it's kind of a dicey proposition to say, hey, everybody, take a break from the messy real world and, and dive into my book that deals with, oh, never mind. Wow. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but in my books, I can promise you that the, uh, the bad guys get the comeuppance they so richly deserve and so often do not get in real life, sadly. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, so has that, has that had any, you know, impact? Well, you know, uh, as Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's manager, used to say, as long as they spell your name right, Elvis, that's the important thing. But has this unfortunate real-world uh, status quo impacted the book positively or negatively? No, and when I was when I was writing it, I was writing it. Um, I started, I want to say, the summer of 2015, sure. and I was writing all through 2016. And I had had the idea for this, you know, the third book in the trilogy. I had had the idea for years, and it wasn't when I sat down until I started to sit down and start writing. And 2016 began to happen that we sort of got this really disgusting undercurrent sure. of, of white nationalism. And the more I wrote, the more it seemed really prescient. Like I, and it just – it was one of those things. Like I, I would like to say that, oh, no, I saw all this coming. I had had the idea for the story 
forever. And then the real world just sort of revealed itself. I don't want to say caught up because it's, it's always obviously been there, but you know, there's this emboldening that's been going on. No question. Well, you're, you're suffering from the same, uh, or, or whatever that the, that your, your art obviously, unfortunately has the same timing as like Nick Spencer had with obviously secret empire. And again, much like your book, you know, created well before, uh, the current status quo and the, the amplification of this, uh, minority, that unfortunately, because of their actions, is getting a lot more attention than they deserve. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it's fascinating. I mean, honestly, man, because, again, I, I felt for Nick when he was getting such grief for Secret Empire. And I'm like, you know, in the 80s, we had a book called Fatherland that uh, presupposed that uh, what if uh, the Nazis had won uh, the, the war and that had reached um, uh, a... a kind of a truce with the United States that the, that the war in Europe never really spread beyond Europe. And, uh, Joseph Kennedy, who was kind of an appeasement kind of guy back in the forties and stuff had reached a, a level of agreement with the Germans. And in fact, uh, well, I guess actually in fatherland, uh, the United States does become some sort of, if not full ally, whatever, but they're about to receive Hitler in I think it's set in the eighties or whatever, you know, forty years later, like a ninety year old Hitler or whatever, who's still the Chancellor of Germany and everything, and coming to meet uh the American, you know, in a in a peaceful kind of meeting. And um oh God, what's his name now? And I'm blanking. Um damn it, uh, Rucker Hauer. Yeah, Rucker Hauer plays the lead. It, they adapted it for HBO. And uh he's a he's a Nazi cop who discovers this conspiracy that could unravel the Reich. And it's, and it was, it was great. I won't say, you know, again, and I say that with no support of, of the alt-right at all, or no, of course, of, I, of, of exactly neo-Nazism, but it's like, no, those are interesting stories, man in the high tower. Very interesting story. They didn't, nobody planned for, for unfortunately what's happening now. And, and I, it's, it's too bad because I think the fiction is interesting and you would think would be more of a cautionary tale of like, you know, like, this is why these people are bad. Don't, don't let this shit happen. But, you know, and you can yeah, swear, and by the way, I'm sure you already know from listening to Word Balloon. Oh, absolutely. But I think, I think those stories that you referenced are, were more comfortable and didn't sort of raise the hackles as much because when they were produced, Nazis were very obviously bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it was pretty black and white. They were, um, you know, it, it was pretty black and white that they were, they were obviously bad. They were like the shark in Jaws. You're not supposed to have any empathy right. for the shark in Jaws. Now it's really uh, uncomfortable. And, and I felt bad for, Nick Spencer, because it's you can't stand there at the comic book store on Wednesday and say, no, no, this whole story was conceived way before the election. Um, you know, the, the, you can't explain about the Marvel retreats and the summits right. and how this was planned in advance. And it just this strange confluence of events um, that nobody could have foreseen. Yep. No, I agree, man. Well, and, and again, I, I'm glad that it hasn't impacted you negatively. Uh you got some nice pull quotes and everything about the book, uh, so that's good. <laughs> you know, so so far so good. Jeez, man. But but in in happier news to go all the way back, yeah. um, to the Beast of Barcroft, uh -huh. and I, I say this as a very proud League of Word Balloon listener. <laughs> so I did my homework, 
And on my iPhone, I've been carrying around for years the question I had submitted to you and Bendis for the Bendis tapes. And then something went wonky this week with all of your old episodes and it got deleted. Oh, what do you mean? Um, I th- I th- something happened with... Oh, the feed or whatever? Yes, with the feed. Whoa. Like all of a sudden, all of the saved episodes I had were gone, but then I had 295 new ones. So that's good. Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, man. And, you know, it's, it is still, it should still be accessible from the website. And no, it is. I found it. I okay, found it last good. night because it was, it's, so I'm going in the Wayback Machine. But on January 19th, 2012, I had submitted a question to the Bendis tapes. Okay. And you guys were kind enough to take it. And at the time, I had sort of been banging my head against the wall with this other novel idea and I was getting nowhere fast and every word that I was writing I would really just agonize over and I hadn't turned off my internal editor and I'm beating my head against the wall and I was just eking out words and the entire time I had the idea for the Beast of Barcroft which was sort of blooming in my head but I'm a real sort of gutted out keep your head down and power through kind of guy but I submitted a question to you guys. And I was like, Hey, um, I'm this kind of person and I'm really want to get this one story done. But also I have this other idea in the back of my head and listening to Bendis. And I have been listening to you guys for years and I was always very excited to hear about how creators like him and fraction and Brubaker always had all of these different irons in the fire. And it's a little trickier to do with a novelist with a novel because it takes it's such a time commitment. Sure. But it always excited me to hear, you know, Bendis talking about, oh, I've got powers going on, I've got Moon Knight, I've got Avengers, I've got this, I've got you know, and it always sort of fired me up. So I said, you know, how do you what are the mechanics of your writing? Do you just power through and get an arc done or or whatever? What do you you know? where do you fall on this sort of rigid, flexible spectrum? And uh, you guys took the question and, and Benda said, you know, uh, to go out of your way to ignore your muse is the single biggest disservice you can do uh, as a writer. And the next day I started writing the beast of Barcroft and you know, the, the rest is, uh, is mild history. Excellent. But that's that got me started. But my wife will argue I was telling you to write the Beast of Barcroft for months. <laughs> but as soon as but as soon as Brian Michael Bendis says it, then, you know, so I have to publicly give my wife props because she was right. But I'm a I'm a lunkhead. And sometimes <laughs> it takes it takes my wife and my writing hero to say you're being a jackass, you know, write what is firing you up at that moment. Well, nice. Going. So, yeah, man. Jesus. So that's what got me. That's what got me going. And I had never um, written a book so fast. I had written a Coast Guard book, uh, a Coast Guard thriller. It took me four years to write it. It took me 10 months to write The Beast of Barcroft because it was it was sort of bubbling up out of me at the time. And once I, you know, turned my full focus on it, it just came pouring out, which was outstanding have the second two books been easier than after the first one and you know you learn from each book as you go along absolutely it was um it was a lot easier because i had 
the character dynamics down. True. And I had not really um, planned on writing a second book when I wrote The Beast of Barcroft. Um, I The two characters, Ben and Lindsay, to me, originally were going to be a romantic pairing. And this is, for me, the first time a character really tapped me on the back of the shoulder and said, um, actually, no, I'm gay. Interesting. Wow. Lindsay's gay, and Ben has a crush on her, but it's unrequited. Okay. She is, but the sort of partnerships that I've always been interested in are your, you know, uh, Holmes and Watson. Okay. Your 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 Gus McRae and Woodrow Call from Lonesome Dove, um, or even like a you know a Batman Superman. You know the sort of the that partner dynamic where two people decide we're going to be partners. You know it's it's me and you against the world, even though they're completely different. But you know they sort of cast their lot with each other, and that sort of. Um, and you were talking about it in one of your podcasts that I was listening to today, like Cap and Bucky, like those sort of relationships, that almost brotherly relationship. Okay. And I wanted that partner dynamic between Ben and Lindsay. And when I, if I had just made them a couple, I think it would have been one and done. But then that became sort of the engine, that dynamic. And halfway through the Beast of Barcroft, I was like, I have more stories to tell. And then Northwoods came out of that. And then the Devil's Colony uh, came out of that. Did you so? Did you sell though the? You, you said this earlier. The first two books as a package. No, so I or, had yeah. submitted um, the Beast of Barcroft. I had gotten an agent um, off of the strength of my first book, slipping the cable, and and as a you know that was sort of a nice resume bullet into the query letter that I sent my agent. That's the Coast Guard, and, book, obviously. But yeah, and and I had sent that to my agent with the the beast of barcroft manuscript and she got back to me and it took her a year to find a deal and she found a deal with hydra which is the digital imprint of penguin random house and so while she was shopping that around for a year i'm so naive i just wrote the sequel i just wrote northwoods okay while she was waiting so she called me and i'm at my day job and she's like uh, i got good news we have a deal and I'm screaming and I'm cursing and, you know, I'm in my office and I'm just going nuts. And then when I settled down, I was like, whew, man, I'm really glad because I would have hated to have written a sequel to a book that didn't sell. She's like, what? I said, yeah, I just finished the first draft uh, three days ago. She said, hmm, very interesting. So she calls, she hangs up. She calls me back in five minutes. She's like, your one book deal, deal is now a two book deal. Excellent. Wow, that's and great. They were, I was like, what? So then I started screaming and cursing all over again. So um, turn those in. And then the third book was the first one I actually had to write sort of on a deadline okay. where we had signed a contract and all right, you have to have it submitted by December 1st of 2016. And that was the first time I've actually had to, you know, write to a date, uh-huh. which was which was, you know, interesting. How much time did you have but, from, uh, you know, knowing that a third book was coming to the, the, the deadline? Um, I probably, by the time we had the contract signed, I had another 
five months to go. We had agreed, you know, verbally. And then, you know, in the summer we said, all right, December 1st. And I was about halfway through the book. Okay. So I had had plenty of time, but you want to give yourself enough time to, to edit and, and give it to trusted readers and that sort of thing. But it, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. That's awesome, man. Um, what, um, how, what else can I ask in terms of, uh, you know, uh, well, now you've also got the audio book and everything. Is How does that, you know, I really haven't discussed uh, when people have audio versions of, of their books and stuff like that. What what are you able to do and what kind of control do you have? Or is it just as simple as, hey, they're going to make an audio book of this. And because you're, and, you know, a, a, a beginning author, yeah, whatever, do do what you need to do. You know, so. They were really cool about it. I mean, I just sort of out of the blue, they're like, hey, um, this group called Tantor Audio is going to do audiobooks of your books. I was like, fantastic. That's great. And they said, all right, we, we have two voice actors um, and we're going to send you files of their voices with some snippets from other novels. And, you know, you get to pick who you like. Okay. And one was sort of one was sort of, you know very sort of almost New England crisp accent delivering Shakespeare. And I'm like, that is not how my fel- filthy foul mouthed uh, characters would speak. And then there was another guy who had a really great rasp to his voice by the name of Will Dameron. And he, he crushed it and I loved his performance. So it's for anybody interested in the audiobooks, It is not me. It is not, uh, I'm not a golden-throated teen idol by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, so, all right, but all right, that's good. That's okay. It, he's a professional, and he performed the hell out of those two books. And then when the third one came around, uh, they said, "You know, who would you like?" I'm like, "I want him to finish. I want him to that's finish smart. the trilogy." That's smart. Does he? Does he try to? I mean, obviously, sometimes he might do a female character, but does he change his voice slightly when he does different voices or different uh, reads? Obviously, he did, and he had to. You know, Ben and Lindsay. So he has to do Lindsay's voice and, you know, he does a great job. And I, not thinking, had in the third book, in The Devil's Colony, three characters with three different sort of southern dialects. Interesting. And he was able to differentiate between all three of them. That's great. I will never, I will never do that again. That was, and it was really interesting to hear, you know, a voice actor perform your book because you're like, Oh, well maybe, you know, they say you should read your own manuscripts aloud, which I don't, I reread them constantly, but I don't, I don't sit there and read them aloud, but it was very instructive and very helpful to hear and then you could sort of write towards that a little more. Oh, that's interesting. But was, did you do that with the audiobooks in mind, do you think? I did for this for the for the last yeah, for one. Devil's Colony, yeah. Yes. Interesting. Um, but I but I hadn't thought, oh yeah, there's three different characters from different areas of the South and I really made him I really made him work at it too. And then there's a Native American character in the books called uh, Alex Standing Cloud who's Ojibwe. And he, you know, I use a bit of Ojibwe language and uh, myth, which was tricky trying to get, you know, the correct pronunciations of some of those uh, artifacts that he carries. And, you know, that was tricky. So uh, major props to Will Damron, who just came out with a book himself. Oh, wow. Oh, so um, he's an actor and an author. That's fantastic. Yeah, he just put out his first book. uh 
the Tercentennial Baron, I think it's called, which just came out a month or so ago. I've downloaded it myself, but I've not had a chance to read it yet. But um, no, it was great. It was he did a great job. Does he spell Dameron the same way Poe Dameron spells his name? No, there's no. It's D A M R O N. Wow, okay, no D A E. Uh, no. Okay. No E. Interesting. Uh, that's cool. You know, uh, and it's funny we were talking before we started recording, and uh, Bill was uh, confessing to me that he's not the Star Trek fan that I am, and that's okay. Uh, but I was going to say, uh, for a guy who uh, would uh, narrate books, George Takei, very effective narrator, and also willing to you know adapt different voices for characters and stuff oh the guy's voice is like honey so yeah well, yeah oh no his straight narration voice is fantastic but he would definitely like do uh and of course i was listening to star trek novels uh audios that he did of those but did a very incredible job you know approximating all the characters voices and um yeah it was great and it was fun to hear him do the various characters that we all know and everything, but uh, yeah, well, he he did a great job. And I, uh, I I am I am an audiobook fan, obviously as as a podcaster, I'm certainly an audiobook fan. Uh, that's cool. That's really neat. So so all three books now available, uh, and uh, certainly you can get them either through uh, Penguin Random House or I'm assuming Amazon and all the other platforms, Barnes and Noble, whatever. You know, Absolutely, is Audible and I have- Audible carrying the audiobooks. Audible is carrying the audio, uh, the audiobooks, absolutely. And I have to give the other sort of major word balloon um, connection is uh, back in the day, shortly after that uh, episode where I submitted the question, you had interviewed Brad Meltzer. I love Brad. Yeah. Brad is the nicest guy. Yes, he is. And he was just starting to talk about Decoded. Okay. Which um, he, I think he was there promoting that. And I was like, you know, I was always looking for shows that my wife and I could agree on. And this sounded like one of them. So – and I would read Identity Crisis and, of course, I was a fan of Brad. Sure. But I'm like, I'm going to check out this Decoded. So my wife and I would watch that show religiously. And there was an episode um, about – sort of Alaska's version of the Bermuda Triangle, where a lot of boats were sinking in this area off the coast of Alaska. And they were thinking it was, uh, you know, a sea monster or a submarine or they also, you know how the story goes, sure. you know, you know every, every conspiracy. And at the time I had, I was maybe five, six chapters into the Beast of Barcroft and I didn't know what my big bad was going to be. I knew the sort of, um, you know, characteristics that the creature would have, but I didn't know exactly what the creature would be. So if anybody really wants to spoil, you can go into sort of decoded archives, but that's where, that's where I got the idea. Uh, there was a native American tribe up there that gave their sort of, um, prediction of, of what the, the beast was that was taking down these boats and it was so creepy. I was like, oh, that's it. That's cool. So Brad came to the National Book Festival um, in the spring. And I waited in line with my book for I think it was his first book of the uh, the National Archive series that he did. Okay. And so I waited for my book and I go up and I was like, hey, I'm, an, I'm you know, I'm a novelist and I – just want to let you know that I totally stole the big bad from Decoded. 
And he's like, you did? I said, yeah. He said, which episode? And I told him, and he goes, ooh, yeah, that was creepy. Hilarious. So he was, he was really, really sweet about it. And then the next time he came into town for another book signing, I had just gotten the cover design from Penguin Random House, and I was like a kid in a candy shop. I was like, hey, Brad, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, and he totally remembered because he's a sweet guy, or at least he lied to me and said he did. And he's like, oh, let me see the cover. So I showed him the cover. He's like, enjoy every second of this. This is fantastic. And then when the books came out, he was always so kind to retweet them because he supports first-time authors and, yes, he does. and stuff like that. So he's a good, good dude. I hear you, man. No, I and believe me, he's he's been incredibly kind to me and Word Balloon and over the years and is one of those reputable guys that when people, you know, are like, Word Balloon, I don't know. And it's like, well, ask Brad Meltzer. And it's like, you know, no, it's, it's good to have Brad on your side. And also, it does not surprise me that he treated you as well as he did. Because he understands, too, the excitement of when the stuff finally happens very much like Bendis. They're very, they're very similar that way. And also incredibly good guys and loyal guys and stuff. No, they're, they're, they're good men. And I've been very fortunate that they like my nonsense and, you know, we're willing to share when they've got something new to talk about and everything. I'm sorry. I miss Brad. He was on a book tour, uh, with the, uh, with the kid books. I am, uh, that he does with Chris Iliopoulos and he was coming through, uh, I think at the, either September or October and I just couldn't make it work with uh, my my day job in radio still, so I wasn't able to go see him. But uh, the good news is he's always out there. Yes. I mean, he's oh, yeah. between the IM books, between his thrillers, between he's always on a book tour. So if you miss one, he'll be back in six months. Well, and for I, sure. I, I hope that Decoded comes back in some form. And I I didn't like Lost History as much as I did Decoded. Decoded was really funny. I love. I loved his uh, field reporters. I loved how they reported back to Brad. I loved how Brad was kind of the Rod Serling of Decoded and would just kind of be back, you know, at the studio and like, okay, here's the deal. And I mean, and just fascinating stories. And Lost History had good subjects that I think would have made great Decodeds, but I just felt like they were given, you know, the, the subjects were given short shrift compared to getting the full hour in Decoded, and I just thought they were you know, much more expansive stories and everything that way. And I, it was missing, it was missing Brad standing in front of the camera and saying, (laughs) it's saying something creepy is going on and I want to know why. (laughs) So I had him sign my book. I was like, uh, Hey Brad, could you sign this? Uh, Hey, you stole the big bad from my show and I want to know why. (laughs) And he did. And he did. I love. I used to always tell him, and I'm sure it's on the word balloon. It's like there's just that kind of uh, you got to cut the blue wire, but they're all blue wires. Kind of panic in uh, the Dakotas <laughs> when he would talk to the uh, reporters and the music they used, and it's just just the whole production. It's funny those guys uh, that made Decoded uh, Go Go Lucky. They also made the show Profits of Science Fiction that I got to be a part of. Really? Yeah. And it was really fun. So, uh, and I'm still I'm still good friends with uh, one of the producers in particular uh, that worked on both shows. And in fact, we did another show, a conspiracy. I just heard. Show. I literally just heard this. Yes. Uh, two hours ago. Yeah, on the Omega episode. You, you just you just dropped this. Yeah, that's true. And uh, well, and it's because it's driving me crazy. And if uh, listeners now haven't heard the Mike Oming episode uh, with all the JK, JFK files being released, it's driving me nuts that this thing hasn't hit the air. 
but yeah, it's about uh, my my particular segment was about this supposed attempt on Kennedy that was being planned three weeks before Dallas when he was coming to Chicago. And it's funny mentioning Brad. Um, I told him about it as well because I'm you know I, I that's another thing is uh, it's always great of like what other stories does Brad either is was aware of himself and possibly prepping for future decodeds or people going to him with ideas and saying, boy, would you do a show about this kind of conspiracy or mystery of some sort from history? And um, I told him, I said, oh, you know, I'm working on this interesting Kennedy thing. And he's and he said, he goes, oh, yeah, I heard about that. He goes, yeah, he goes, you know, that's funny. He goes, we were thinking about that for Decoded, possibly for a future season. And it just, it cracked me up. And that, and I also asked him, <laughs> I know this was on the air. I'm pretty sure this is on the air, and I don't mind revealing it. I'm like, what's the biggest, like, conspiracy that people come to you with? And he said, nearly every day, I get someone e- e- emailing me saying, why aren't you doing a story about how it was so obvious that Lincoln was gay? And I just, what? yeah, I just, exactly. It's like, not again, not that there's any, uh, forgive the Seinfeld, not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's just like, oh, really? <laughs> really? People think Lincoln's gay? And apparently that is a very popular theory. I'm just, I, yeah, the, the surprise in my voice is not because I care, but because I've never well, heard that. I hadn't realized it either, but apparently, you, you know, Google that and you'll find a lot of, oh, yeah, absolutely. And from his dysfunctional marriage with Mary Todd and how crazy she was and, you know, and also uh, there were, t- I mean, uh, men, men were laying together in the 19th century literally because of warmth. And the lack of, like, central heating and how uh, airy, likely, a lot of houses probably were back in the in the pre-electric uh, period. But, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. But I just, you know, that they were, you know, yeah, sharing a bed because, you know, God, it's cold outside, man. <laughs> you know, it's like. Well, I, I mean, I knew Lincoln was a vampire hunter, <laughs> but I didn't know that. I mean, that's just. Yeah. That's just. Do your homework, John. That's just history. Yes, I'm aware. That's... I'm aware. That's, that's true. That's it. Well, anyway, I uh, no, that's cool. And, and apparently now you're working on a new book and it's uh, got some uh, comic book, uh, you know, inspirations. Is that fair? To- Absolutely. So I um, I wrapped up the trilogy and my and, and Penguin Random House is like, OK, what do you want to do next? And I had to think about it. And they said, well, if you do something with a little sci fi we can get you into the Del Rey imprint of Random oh, House, great. which is which is you know print as well as ebook sure, and audiobook sure. and all that stuff. And I really didn't have um, an idea for a novel, or at least I didn't think I did. And then I went away on vacation, and I remembered that I had always had an idea if I were to do a comic book. Um, if I ever had the opportunity to write for Marvel, which I'm a huge Marvel Marvel guy, I know you fall on the DC side of things more often than not, but I always grew up sort of straight Marvel down the line, and I had had sort of an idea for it could have either been a Captain Marvel or Mockingbird and Shield, but I sort of took it and adapted it, and um, so it's my sort of take on sort of a um, a spy agency that has some uh, operatives that have some, you know, extra normal abilities uh, that uh, dabble in parapsychology, things like, you know, there's agents that have 
ESP or precognition or remote viewing, and they get paired up with sort of a tactical operative. And that's sort of my my idea, and I just finished the first draft of that a couple of weeks ago, and I'm currently editing it. So once I'm done, I'll submit that to Random House and see if uh, it, it passes muster and see if they like it. That's awesome. But when I, when I had always conceived of it in my head, at the time I was reading Scarlet from oh, – sure. That had just come yeah, out, so I've been carrying this. I absolutely, and I just sort of been carrying it around in my back pocket for like six years. And when they said sci-fi, I was like, "Well, why not? Why why give that to Marvel? Why not write it myself?" Um, but I'd always envisioned it as being written by, or as as being illustrated by Malik. Ah. You know, sort of like sort of, you know comic fantasy uh fantasy football like if i could have anybody draw it it would be alex malieve so i saw him at uh new york comic-con a couple of weeks ago and i was like hey not for nothing i'm a novelist and i just finished a book and i had always sort of conceived of it as a comic book and you know i sort of fanboyed out all over him and again everybody that i've met in the industry has been absolutely warm and wonderful and he let me sort of you know uh, run at the mouth at him and he was like hey if this thing happens I definitely want to see it and want to see what I would have done with it so hey maybe he I would him, maybe you can get him for the cover or something like that if, and if I think that's right. a I would love that I think he is his art is gorgeous Great. I have a beautiful Doctor Doom uh, sketch that he did for me last year ha- hanging over my writing desk always looking down at me disapprovingly <laughs> Saying, you know, you can do better, uh, you insignificant worm. So, you know, we all motivate ourselves differently. So, um, no, but he was he was super nice. He was great. That's cool. Did you get any original uh, art uh, this uh, past New York? I, um, I did. I got a, a postcard from Kate Leth, who did uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, I think. But I got that as a gift for um, my niece and... Uh, I got a print from Malieve again, another Doom, uh, this time from, a, I think, a full-page spread from Infamous Iron Man. Cool. Where, yeah, so, but I got a lot of books. I've gotten a lot of great books. I got Sheriff of Babylon. Oh, terrific. From, yeah, Tom. For the first volume. Oh, my God, that was good. I just recommended um, that to a good friend who writes for the Wall Street Journal, and he and his... 12-year-old son, uh, his 12-year-old son's a big comic reader, but they're, you know, I've gotten the father to read certain things, and I'm not, I told him, I said, this isn't for the 12-year-old, but they both love <laughs> Vision, and were just so, like, shocked at how much, and especially the father was, like, really, like, hey, this is really good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the Batman writer. I said, you know, he wrote this Iraq thing, Sheriff of Babylon. I said, you would like that. I said, I think it's a little too tough for the 12-year-old, but, uh, I said, I, I think you'd really be impressed with uh, with that story. And I said, you know, it's definitely not fantasy. I mean, it's really a grounded, serious Iraq story and everything. And he's like, oh, no, that sounds cool. So I'm hoping he likes it. I, I just recommended it to him over the weekend. That was amazing. And Jesus, how amazing was Vision. Oh, God. I, and uh, that's when I, when I initially recommended it to him. As I keep saying, I'm like very Bradbury-esque in the best way. I'm like this. And this thing would have been, takes, you know, uh, an Outer Limits or a Twilight Zone back in the '60s or whatever. 
And it takes place in my hood. It takes place in Arlington. So every time he would drop like local know, references, I yeah, local references. I was like, I know that neighborhood. Is awesome. I know that street. Is awesome con the DC convention? Awesome con is the DC convention. I've never been, but um, I've gone to Baltimore Comic Con. Oh, I always take my sure. daughter and my niece and my nephew. But <laughs> before the Beast of Barcroft came out, I went to Baltimore Comic Con and I was like, um, you know what? I'm a grown ass man. I have money. I want to go to the Harvey Awards. Oh, good for you. And I thought it was going to be like you sit in an auditorium. I thought it was going to be like something like right, that. With the band. Bah, and then bah, it, bah, you know, that kind of Yeah, thing. as I get closer, it's like I realize, oh no, it's like a sit-down dinner. Yes. Like a sort of a fancy thing. So I have to go to my wife. And I'm like, um, honey, will you go to nerd prom with me? She's like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? So we go and I... I'm sitting with all of these creators who are up for awards and they're all nervous because they're, you know, they're up for Harvey's and they're like, and you are, I'm like, just a guy, (laughs) just happy to be here. They're like, you really have no connection to, nope, just, just wanted to come. Um, but it was so much fun. It's, you know, really the Baltimore award show, which is now, uh, the Ringo's. Uh, yes, it's not, that's it's not great. switched because now New York hosts the Harveys. I'm glad because I think there's room for both, and um, I'm glad that Mike has a, uh, an award named after him as well because he was absolutely a guy. And I really miss going to Baltimore. Unfortunately, the last few years, Tony Moore had his wonderful Cincinnati show, and he gave me the opportunity, obviously, to to run a lot of the panels. And it's like, well, geez, here's like a month and a half of like free word balloon content. You know, plus, you know, I love Tony and Kara. They're great people. They always invited wonderful artists and writers that were either already friends or became new friends or got to meet, like, Kelly Jones and Kelly Jones telling me, hey, John, I've always been a fan. And it's like, are you nuts? I've been loving your stuff for 25 years. I'm the fan, you know. Uh, So that was keeping me from Baltimore. I haven't gone since 2009 or 2010. And then... um, the last uh, this last year and everything, Salt Lake City Comic Con invited me to their show, kind of in the same way. And you know, again, moderating panels and uh, free content, and uh, you know, it's like, well, God, I'd love to go to Baltimore, and it's not that expensive of a trip, and I know it's a fun convention and so many great people, but I'm like, well, this other free show is offering me the, you know, to to put me up as a guest and you know, do it for free and everything, and again, give me free content. So, and yeah. Cincinnati, you you interviewed Pasco, right? Um, yes, yes. I, I well, yeah, Marty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Marty did come to the last uh, Cincinnati one. That's true. I love your chats with Marty's awesome. Marty well, you Pasco. know, it's funny too because in the spring we did uh, uh, a Salt Lake, my first Salt Lake show, and they do a spring show and a fall show. So uh, no, I've all, because they, they, you know it's great when they invite me. And in fact, same thing happened in Cincinnati. Like, do you have any suggestions? <laughs> Pardon me. Bad cold, and I keep coughing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, any suggestions for guests? I'm like, yeah, Marty Pasco. I'm like, because not only his comic work, but, you know, the Batman animated series. And really, we still haven't scratched the surface of Marty's uh, live-action TV work. I mean, he worked on Buck Rogers. He worked on, um, he was on Roseanne. He was on Simon and Simon. 
like really interesting episodic television. And the, the, he was on Roseanne. Oh my yeah, god! You know, Roseanne went through writers like you know popcorn. I mean, just you know, handfuls of writers. You know that were you know worked for maybe half a season, got fired, and Marty was in that kind of uh, merry-go-round with Roseanne. But also the '80s Twilight Zone that CBS did that was very good. Um, and he's just he's yeah. So he's uh, you know he almost made it on the uh, Star Trek Next Generation writers' room. And unfortunately, there was a writer strike that happened. So, it, and also the oh. they changed showrunners, so it didn't happen. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's no, he's got he's he's got a great uh, history in genre fiction in all these different you know ways. And uh, and I, I you know again, as you know, I mean, he's just he's got great stories. And uh, yeah, we've become good friends. And I and truly, I really appreciate the fact that Marty has like you know appreciated what I do and. You know, we we've we've we have a blast, and truly, like God, Salt Lake, we were laughing, and certainly Cincinnati, we were laughing, and I'm glad because I think outside of New York and LA shows, he hasn't he hadn't done many other city conventions, so it was really great to kind of go, dude. You know, no, you know, you'll you'll be surprised. There's fans, man. You know that are going to be very happy. Yeah, he always sort of he always sort of begins like, oh, nobody wants to hear about this, John, and then you'll go for three hours. Well, and also, uh, but it's but it's but it's fascinating. Totally. Well, and also he was, you know, he was in that group of Bronze Age writers that were doing Superman, and he was, you know, a peer of Denny O'Neill's and uh, Elliot Magan and Carrie Bates, and you know they were the upperclassmen, and he was just getting started, and he's like, oh please, you know, I you, these guys are so much bigger, uh, you know, stars, and I was just, you know, a, a guy grinding it out and stuff, and it's like, yeah, Marty, you you wrote good shit, man. Don't you know? Don't sell yourself short. And I'm really glad that like the the Superman uh, the Supergirl show has uh, and and Smallville. I, well, I, actually, I'm not sure about Smallville, but I know in Supergirl they had the Master Jailer and a few other uh, DC villains that that Marty created. Uh, and I'm glad that you know he's had that opportunity, gotten the, you know the check for the fact that he created oh, these things, good. which is always important. And yeah, I'm kind of glad. So I feel. You know, at least in a small way, the word balloon has kind of helped remind people. It's like, yeah, Martin Pasco, don't don't like dismiss this guy. He's uh, he's he's worthy of attention. And again, like we said, great story. So no, he's always a pleasure to talk to Marty. And I, you know, we check in every couple times a year just to see how he's doing. And I'm like, hey, you know, it's funny. He's always reluctant to come on. And I'm like, dude. Hey, come on, tell the stories. Everybody loves No, it. he's you've got at least one guy who's always thrilled when it <laughs> shows up in my feed. My favorite was when he was in Cincinnati, now that you remind me, uh I was interviewing Azarello, and Azarello's being his usual kind of one you know, word answer and just you know, Azarello plays a game with everybody that interviews him and that's totally fine. But it's great. You can hear Marty cackling while I'm trying to pull these <laughs> you know, these answers out of Azarello. You just say that <laughs> and it's like that's Marty. Shh. So. Shit! Now that I now that I'm thinking about it, uh, whenever I need a name for a character, Marty Pasco's. I will, <laughs> I I will plug in a comic book professional's name, and I did plug in Pasco. Oh, that's great! In the Beast of Barcroft. That's great. Mal- there's a there's, that too. That's very good. <laughs> there's a cop that I needed, um, and I plugged in Officer Pasco. I actually, and I think uh, I think there's actually a Detective Brubaker in. Excellent. In the Beast of Barcroft, and I may have slipped in a Deconic. Oh wow, good for in you! In Northwoods, very nice. 
That's excellent, man. Too funny. I was just I'm telling you, my geek cred is strong. Clearly. Don't clearly. T- don't don't toy with me. We were talking about be- before we started recording, uh we were talking about uh the um the uh things that uh, the where we are geek blind spots and I want to get into that with you, but we're going to take a break for a second and come back. All right, we're back with uh, Bill Schweiger, and we were going to talk about uh, some uh, some some geek blind spots. And you were confessing to me off the air that that Star Trek is one of your geek blind spots. Star Trek is a a, a blind spot for me. I think because when I would come home from school, it was either on before on like you know WPIX and Channel Eleven back in Jersey where I'm from, um, or it was during dinner. So I never really got that. Um, so yeah, I totally missed that, and I have this huge black hole in the 90s because I was in the Coast Guard and I went to the Coast Guard Academy from 91 to 95 and then I was at sea from 95 to 97 so there was not a lot that I was actually consuming pop culture wise so like I know it's sacrilege but never saw an episode of Buffy never saw Angel I am aware of its prominence and its importance but I just never it's just one of those things where I'm like, I know I need to go and go back to it, but I just never did. And I actually stopped reading comic books probably senior year in high school because girls and cars were more expensive. I understand that. Go on. And then at the academy, we were allowed one shelf of personal space. It was called your knickknack shelf. You were allowed to keep like pictures on there. Or CDs or something, but one shelf. Okay. So it's not. I couldn't have a long box, even if I wanted to. Um, so what brought you back so to that, comics? So then I got. I went out to sea, and we'd be out at sea for the Coast Guard. Um, we would be out to sea the same length as Navy ships. We would just break it up differently. So we'd be out to sea for a month, then in for a month, out for two months, in for a month, that sort of okay. thing. And I would, I would get some goddamn lonely and nostalgic out in the middle of the ocean that I went I was in station in Norfolk at the time and on one patrol break I went back to I, I found a comic book store and I went in and I just bought a bunch of trades and I was like oh my god this is the best thing ever and th- so I missed a lot of the 90s schlock I was going to say if you're going to and, and you know forgive me cuz I'm sure there are listeners that as we know, like our best, the best comics are the ones when we are kids. And so there are, I mean, God, Kirkman, you know, tell Kirkman that the 90s sucked and he'll slap you in the face because that, those were, that was his teen years and in preteen years. So he loved all that. But stuff. I feel like I, I feel like I kind of am, I was kind of brought back in maybe a little, a few years before you were brought back in, but I think by the same folks, like, what really got me excited was, you know, the ultimate stuff when Bendis was just starting sure. out and Mark Miller sure. and, you know, a couple of years before that. And then, you know, getting introduced to Brubaker and stuff like that. And now, because I'm married and I live in a house in Arlington and I have no, no space, yeah, I finally – exactly. But now I don't have any space. I've oh. got tons of long boxes <laughs> and I have no storage space. And it's an old house and, you know, just not a lot of closet space. And finally, after uh, Secret Wars, I finally went 
all digital with Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, I, mean, I understand. But I have this, but in that regard, I haven't really been able to stay current with the Marvel stuff as much. Yeah, but you're only six but, months behind, so that's not that bad. But even so, I still haven't read as much. I mean, I've, I'm pretty much, you know, I bought the hard copies of the of uh, infamous Iron Man just because I love looking at Malief. Alex Malieve's art and him and Bendis together. I think it's just a special kind of alchemy. I agree. But I'm still getting uh, hard copies of a lot of the image stuff. Um, that's what's been really compelling to me lately, like. Brubaker's, you know, Velvet and Fatal and Killer Be Killed and Jesus Christ. I just discovered last year Lazarus yes. from Rucka. Good yeah. God, that's fantastic. No, I agree with you. I love, and, I, I love Lazarus. It's so funny. I actually emailed Rucka today because we've been talking about doing a new show since the last C2E2. So, yeah, I understand. But, um, yeah, uh, Hickman, I love sure. Hickman stuff. He's a mad genius. Yes, he is. No, and I and so, I, I love these. I I love the freedom that these guys now have. Fractions, another one that you know now that they don't have to do the DC and Marvel stuff. The the different ideas that they can explore. And Brubaker and Ruck are prime examples of that. Again, Matt's Matt's another good example. And certainly John Hickman. Uh yeah. Wicked and divine. Sure. And I, I almost forgot, like my the main character of my trilogy, Ben McKelvey, I stole Jamie McKelvey's name. <laughs> and I told, you know, and, and my first New York Comic Con, I went up to a signing at him and Kieran Gillen. And I was like, hey, not for nothing. I kind of stole your name uh, as for the main character in my book. He's the hero. And Kieran Gillen just went, should have made him the villain. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't met them face to face. Jamie's always been very nice online, and I've and I've uh, Kieran and I I had on a Marvel press conference. I, we we talked a little bit, but uh, no, I, they're they're amazing. It's uh, no, it's a good time, and it's funny actually. Literally, that is when I uh, came on uh, back to comics as well. Ninety nine was my comeback year, and it was because. Um, I uh, I was going. I was still working in sports radio and covering a lot of boxing, and I was heading to New York for an HBO fight. It was probably either uh, Felix Trinidad or Oscar De La Hoya was the the main event, and um, went to O'Hare and I saw the novelization of Batman No Man's Land by Rucka, and I'm like, oh, you know, I haven't read a Batman story in a really long time. I wonder what's going on. And I read it, and it just blew my mind in terms of how great it was. And uh, further, then I had read that Kevin Smith was going to do Daredevil and was doing it in the style of, of Frank Miller and was kind of a continuation of, um, oh, God, now I'm blanking. What was it called? The Kingpin story, um, where he destroys Daredevil and brings him back up. Born Again? Thank you, my friend. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm like, oh, I love Born Again. I'm like, I will, you know, let's let's see what Kevin Smith does with uh, Daredevil, and it was fantastic, Guardian Devil. And then um, at the same time, uh, heard about Brubaker and Bendis, and I heard about Powers, and I'm like, oh, I got to check out Powers. And I knew he was writing Ultimate Spider-Man at the time, and uh, Ed was writing uh, Batman as well. It was uh, Rucka was doing Detective, and Ed was doing Batman. And then I found out about Scene of the Crime, a great uh, Brute Baker-Michael Arc combination, and Gotham Noir, another great story they did together. 
And so I became a fan of all these guys. And I picked up Wizard Magazine, and it had a feature of all the uh, comic book guys that were influenced by crime novels and stuff. And it was all of them. Brendis, Brubaker, Rucka. And I'm like, man, these guys are all amazing. And so, you know, was very prepared when I decided to start doing Word Balloon as a podcast. Like, oh, I got to get these guys. I got to get to know these guys. So, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a pleasure, and it's been a, it's been great well, watching. That's that's why it's that's why I love Word Balloon because when I came back, you know, in high school, I I followed the characters because I love the characters, and then. I took a very long break. And when I came back as an adult, it's like you, I followed the creators. And after, you know, reading Ultimate Spider-Man and, and Bendis' Daredevil run and all of the different things that he was into, you want to learn more about the creators. And the best place I would go to, I, that's how I discovered Word Balloon. I came for the Bendis, but I stayed for the Suntress. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thanks. And then, you know... The fireside chats with, with Fraction Fraxy. and Brubaker yeah. and Rucka and it, you know, sort of teaches you. It's a it's an absolute clinic on the industry, on not just on on creativity, on even how to handle yourself in social media and and deal with fans. Sure. It's it's invaluable and in, invaluable. So I really have been, you know. Well, I got turned on to Word Balloon probably in 2009, 2010, and have been have not missed an episode since. And it's been really, truly invaluable. So thank you. Uh, that's why I've wanted to uh, to get on and just say every every step of the way in, in my own writing career, it, you know, you've sort of helped nudge me along without even knowing it. So I, I definitely wanted to, to say thank you for all of us out here um, who learned invaluable lessons that, you know, you thought you were just having conversations, but you were really uh, spreading wisdom and being a conduit for some of these great creators to, to talk about their process, which is super helpful. Well, and I, I mean, I honestly just approach it more from an interviewer standpoint because I just can't help it. I, I want to know what happens behind the curtain. I want to know how these things are made and what inspires people. And uh, and then, yeah, as again, as they uh, pursue now these creator-owned things and they're not only having to write and draw these things but also promote them and sell them, I just think comics, uh, just like any media right now, because of the digital revolution, I think we're at a really interesting time when somebody creative can really gather an audience and get them to support their product. And sometimes they can do it without having a Penguin Random House as yourself or uh, or a DC or a Marvel to make their stuff happen. So it's an even more interesting journey. And um, yeah, I, and then thankfully, you know, again, a lot of the listeners have kind of let me know that they're aspiring writers and artists and uh, appreciate where our conversations go because they find them informative and, and helpful in, in their own process. So, yeah, again, I, I do it from a curiosity standpoint, and I'm really glad that uh, people find the benefits of it. And, um, again, that's why the, the uh, people who support me, too, as, as you do with uh, Patreon, it means a lot. And I, uh, I'm glad. I, I thank you for believing in what I'm trying to do creatively. And as I always tell the creators, and they, they seem to agree, uh, I'm like, you know, hey, we're all, we all seem to be on the same journey. You know, you guys are making books and everything, and I'm just making 
audio content, but it's like, yeah, we're just kind of finding our audience and, and making our way. And I, every, every personal victory I have either from a hot guest or a, uh, uh, knowing that I've broken through with a new group of an audience or something like that. Yeah. It's just as exciting for me as when you guys sign a book deal or whatever, you know? So it's, uh, like I said, we're all on the same path here and it, uh, it's good to know that we're not alone and that we're all helping each other. So that's why I'm happy to help you and, and help you promote the trilogy and what you've got coming up as well. So as far as well, other, I, other uh, blind, oh no, go ahead. You know what? Well, I was going to say, I just, I greatly appreciate it. Pleasure. Well, and also let's get back to the, the creative uh, or the, the geek blind spots, you know? Um, uh, well, and it's funny cause we both checked out for the, the, uh, the, the, in the same decade. I really missed a lot of the nineties stuff. And some of it was because, um, like you said, I, I just didn't like how art dominated the period more than story. And I really felt that in the 90s, as cool as a lot of splash pages and really interesting art was happening, I just felt like it, it was it was dominating the story. I ducked out at the right time. I believe it. I, like I said, I agree with you. Um, and now, you know, I guess it's... It's funny because some artists will say, well, the, you know, now it's too heavily on the writer's side. And I suppose in terms of credit, a lot of times we think writer first and less about artists. And that's, and that's a mistake. But I do think that the, the writers certainly understand the value of a great artist. You clearly do when you talk about Maliv and the Bendis, you know, relationship. And certainly there's a lot of, of, of others like that. And I think, um, you know, the right story, it, you, you need that great artist to represent your story. Because, I mean, as hey, I, some of my favorite writers have been done in by terrible artists. And it's just less of a pleasant reading experience because the art doesn't match the story. And I don't want to shame anybody as far as artists that I personally don't like. But a lot of my favorite art, uh, writers have been saddled with artists that it just didn't work with the two of them. And it's and you know. yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen plenty of examples of that too. But it only makes it that much more special when you have a great alchemy like a Bendis and a Maleev or a McKelvey and a Gillen. Like it's when they are firing on all cylinders and finishing each other's sentences, and and even a a, a Rucka and Lark. Definitely. I mean. It's just high art. Sure. I mean, it's it's spectacular. And then Oming, you know, like we said, we just I just talked to Oming. It's yeah, absolutely. Oming and Bendis, and really even Oming and Gerard Way and John Rivera in terms of uh, Cave Carson. I've uh, I really loved what they did with Cave Carson. It's a trippy book, and uh, but it's it and that's another thing that Word Balloon has done. It's it's what's really fascinating, and which I've tried to take to heart is. The collaboration aspect, yep. which you don't have to do as much as a writer. And I always try and keep those lessons close to heart when it's time to turn over my manuscript to a team of editors um, who then have to chime in and say, oh, no, you could do this a little better or maybe you should do this or where there's a, a cover artist. And I've been very lucky with my cover artists who actually ask for my input and the first one, I'm really precious about it. And then by, you know, the third cover, I'm like, do your thing. I just put some red in it, you know, and then they just, you know, go off and, and do it. And, you know, it's it 
it's taught me how to be a better collaborator, which is when to, when to lighten up, when to let go a little bit, because that's, that's the tricky business. Very cool, man. Well, Bill, nice going. Honestly, I I think, uh, you got a hell of a trilogy here and I'm happy to help, uh, make people aware of it and direct them to uh, your excellent books. What's the, what's the best way to find your, your work and, and your social media ways of uh, getting in contact with you? Um, the best way is probably on Twitter at Bill Schwagert and that's a S C H W E I G A R T. Um, yeah, it's a mouthful, but at Bill Schwagert is probably the best way. There's the website, BillSchweiger.com, and you can find it on the Penguin Random House site. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it Barnes & Noble, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Fantastic, man. And I'm sorry I was saying Schweiger and not Schweiger. No, yeah, I didn't even hear a difference. Okay, because uh, I, I went with the EI because uh, I'm thinking like Weigel as opposed to, uh, yeah, just uh, uh, Wagger. But there you go, Bill Schweiger. Uh, no, good stuff, man. Keep up the fine work. And uh, thank you for your patronage. Uh, both uh, just listening and also uh, through Patreon as well. You're, you're Like I said, you're part of the league, and I, I thank you for that support. And I'm glad we finally had this conversation. I hope to see you at uh, future cons. I eventually will make it to some D.C. conventions or Baltimore conventions again. But if not, maybe... Well, you go. let me know, and uh, you let me know when you come out, and, and dinner is on me for sure. <laughs> That's Bill Schwaggert. I hope you enjoyed today's uh, Word Balloon. Check out his stuff. And uh, looking forward to having a new conversation with Bill when the new book is ready to be talked about. Word Balloon today was brought to you by InStock Trades and InStockTrades.com. Thank you very much, InStock Trades, for your kind support over the years. Uh, Man, they've got a lot of great books at lots of great prices. You're not going to believe it. I love how uh, everyone is starting to hit their 75th anniversary over at DC. And uh, it's Two Faces' 75th anniversary now. And uh, they've got a great new collection, a celebration of 75 years of Two-Face. It's uh, a really cool book, 384 pages, 42% off, $23.19. You can get Generation X, Trade Paperback Volume 1, Christian Strain doing the writing on this fine book. But uh, a new spin on uh, Generation X. This collects the first, uh, this is the first trade, 1 through 5, and it is 42% off, $10.43. You can get Aquaman, the Atlantis Chronicles. Uh, this was a classic story, and it was Peter David and Esteban Moroto, and uh, it featured beautiful art. And uh, this is, I believe, when uh, Aquaman was in the blue suit. But uh, it's, a, it's a great miniseries. It's all seven issues, 328 pages, 42% off, $28.99. Just a few of the great books that are available now at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Great books, great prices, InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Uh, Patreon.com slash Word Balloon if you'd like to be one of them. and uh, Or go to Word Balloon and click on the Patreon ad. Man, I've got a ton of interviews to get through because, and that's the good news for all of us, lots of content to listen to. And they're going to come fast and furious. Another Word Balloon episode will be dropping today and more dropping this week. Right into next week, uh, I've got talks planned that will continue. The trains will run on time. But uh, I also have to make room for this upcoming Bendis tapes. 
So you're going to get a lot of content pretty fast in the days ahead right here on Word Balloon. Hope you're enjoying them. Hope you listen. Question or, questions or comments about the show, reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.